0: I'm Ben Easter and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. The podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much. Maybe you've been worried about what other people will think. Or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Shift to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Paige Easter, and I'm here with my wonderful partner in business and in life, Ben Easter. And today the topic we have for you is environment. We're going to talk to you today about how to use your environment to facilitate your personal growth and development, make your life easier and better and more free.
0: Oh, yeah. To be clear, we're not talking about environmental issues, that sort of thing. We're talking about making, you know, personal change easier by leveraging the power of environment. Uh, This is for people who are wanting to get a habit started or are wanting to make life a little easier, smoother, faster, stronger, that sort of thing. So we'll be talking about a few different ways that you can use various different kinds of environment to make that work.
1: The first thing I would love to talk about is just home environment, using the environment that we live in to make ourselves feel better. I first started learning in my teens about the idea of feng shui, am I saying it right? Feng shui, yeah. Feng shui. Wind water. Wind water. And what I love about this concept is I started noticing when I keep my physical space more kind of flowy and tidy, I notice a significant change in my physical experience of my life. Like my body feels more calm and my mind feels more clear
0: totally people probably have noticed uh times when they've been wanting to do something and kind of putting it off and then they just like get get onto like an environmental kick where they'll start cleaning up and uh mm-hmm. and like tidying and organizing their their house
1: mm-hmm. i think
0: that's that's kind of like a, a um, representation of the kind of the way that our environment will like a bound up environment will bind up our mind or our mm-hmm. thinking or our processing
1: mm-hmm. so as we're talking about that i feel curious about a distinction here between Because I think sometimes we can use cleaning up the house, doing laundry as like those are things that feel easier to do than some of the risky things that we might need to do to take action in our business or in our lives. And so how do we think about this resourcefully?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I I, honestly, I think that's a reason for keeping the house clean is so that you can just remove the obstructions from your your story. But that said, you know there there is something too like a clean house, a clean mind, or a clean space, a clean mind. So you know if you are noticing that you have like some some stuff, some unfinished tolerations in your house that are kind of weighing on you or holding. A space, mental space. Cause that's the thing is like, mm-hmm. we're, we're, you know, we're holding space physically and it's taking up mental space too. When there's, when the laundry has mm-hmm. yet to be done or the, you know, the, the dishes are creating, you know, clutter in the house or whatever that, that's also cluttering our mind and we're thinking about them and there are things to be done in our mind that are just kind of like weighing on us. And so sometimes mm-hmm. just like making the space and clearing things out can, can greatly facilitate the ease of our mind as mm-hmm.
1: we go through it. Isn't it such a delightful feeling when the house is like, yeah, you know, it's like a little unruly and then you just take a minute, clean it up, tidy it up. And then you walk into the space and it smells fresh. It's all clean and it just feels so good.
0: I also, and to take it back to the work thing, I, lo- I love that experience. And then like sitting down to work F, in that environment is like such a delightful experience.
1: Yeah. With all yeah. the space freshly cleaned and like the mental space feels like it has more space to just focus.
0: Totally. And I mean, like our environment has real energy. This is why like, you know, s- summertime, we're, you know, we're stepping into summer right now and it's just got that energy. You want to be outside. The sun's shining. There's warmth out there. And so like we're more physically active in the summertime. We talked about this in our, in our, um, energetic podcast, the, the cycles mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just like how, you know, we've got it's easier to go outside in the summertime than it is in the winter when it's cold and it's rainy. So, you know, th- that is a, a kind of environment. If you're looking to, to have more outside in your life, then the summertime is a great time or warmth is a great time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we can create a physical environment with our clothes as well so that we're like mm-hmm. more likely to go outside even if it's cold and rainy. Can we stay dry? can we stay warm? that sort of thing.
1: What do you think about environment in terms of climate? I know that you have a lot to say about this just because you have strong preferences of geographic areas where you want to live. Like, what's that like for you being able to live in a climate that really suits you?
0: Yeah. And honestly, I think that's like, that is a decision that it's, it's worth making consciously. It's like, where do you live? What kinds of environments suit you? Uh, You know, I lived in Florida for much of my life and that is just like, not the place for a Benji. It's hot and humid and like the sun is always out and just brutal. And some people really love that. But for me, it's like really harsh. And I have a hard time accessing my energy. I feel like I'm always being like beaten down, tired and exhausted from the sun. So, you know, when I became an adult and I decided that I I realized that I could choose what kind of environment I lived in, I was like, all right, where do I want to go? And I'd been to Ireland when I was younger and I was like, all right, where in the United States could I get a place that's just like Ireland? And I was like, ah, the Pacific Northwest. (sighs) And uh-huh. you know, <laughs> so I spend eight months of the year at least in, uh, in an overcast green environment, someplace that I really love it. So it really what's works the, for
1: me. What's the impact for you in terms of your personal development, growth, work output?
0: Well, I spend a lot more time outside. I, I kind of have this like, uh, philosophy that the environment kind of also matches the social environment and dynamic and things like that. So you, you know, you take a place like Florida where it's hot and it's, sweaty and it's sticky and when you're outside you're like sweaty and there's a lot of you know the south has a lot of anger culturally being from there my life my whole life I feel like I can say that you know but then you take a place like here where it's a lot cooler and it's you know rainy much of the year and we have like a much more like kind of chill laid back I think very intellectual sort of environment socially and that makes sense when you think about it because people are spending a lot of time inside at bars and coffee shops, that sort of thing for much of the year. And so, you know, you have bar and coffee shop kind of conversation. So there's like a conversational culture here. Whereas when I lived in Denver and you've got the Rocky Mountains right there and they're like challenging you to go out and it's always sunny and it's like always like dry and uh, you know, there's a lot of athleticism in Colorado where people are like going out and they're doing yoga and they're climbing mountains and they're snowboarding and they're skiing and they're doing all these things that are very active. They're very like, you know, entrepreneurially focused, but there's not a lot of humidity in the air. So there's not as much like social cohesion. I think there are places where it, it's more, but whereas you do in the South where it's really sticky, wet, you have a lot of social cohesion. It just happens to be around things that people are very like. Maybe even aggressively so about. And up here we have cooler water. So water is cohesive and adhesive. And and here we see people like sticking together, but around more like the intellectual pursuits, that sort of thing. So that's just Mm -hmm. like my take on it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think it, it seems to play out.
1: Yeah, I think one of the distinctions that I'm noticing as we're talking about this is on one end of the spectrum, there are like, these tolerations, these things that just like we don't really vibe with, or they're not for us, or they take up mental energy because we don't enjoy them and we resist them. And then on the flip side of this toleration is some kind of value.
0: Mm, yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I think the first part of that physical environment that we're talking about is really kind of zapping those tolerations, you know, like they mm-hmm. say in, in Coach U, just like get rid of the tolerations. What are you tolerating in your life so that we can, you know, stop using that as a thing that is kind of taking up energy, space, mental space, physical mm-hmm, space, mm-hmm. that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought up zapping tolerations because I think this is a really amazing exercise that really directly relates to environment. But there's this exercise of just writing down all of the things that are taking up mental energy. And the benefit of this, I think, is that when we don't have them on a list, we're like mentally carrying that list around. And then the same things are recurring to us over and over again because it's not on a list. And so then it feels like there are more tolerations than there are. And I remember when we did this exercise together, we wrote down just a massive list of all of our tolerations and then didn't really create a plan for addressing any of them, but then looked at that list again, like I think it was like 30 or 60 days later, and we were both so astounded at how many of them we were able to zap in that amount of time without even in like putting intention into, okay, here's how we're gonna address these, here are the priorities. Like they just started going away And there's something really magical about just creating this list and then watching yourself zap those tolerations. And it's a really freeing feeling.
0: Yeah, totally. And the power of like writing down and goal setting and things like that is like really cool. This list also, um, David Allen in the book, Getting Things Done also he has this idea of just like create this like master brain dump list and just get things out of your brain so that you're because like this thing that you're talking about we have this like cost there's like an energetic cost of keeping track of things because you're continually like returning back to them just like to make sure that we don't lose them because we know that they're kind of important and then just like making the some some space because then again that becomes an environment right like that Mm map that master to-do list or that you know, thought dump list or whatever that tolerations list that becomes a kind of environment that we've created for ourselves to Mm -hmm. clear up some of the clutter in our space or in our Mm -hmm. mental space rather.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. What about social environment?
0: Uh, Social environment, I think is like clutch. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways to talk about this one. So one that many people might be pretty uh, familiar with is like this idea that our, we're the average of our five closest friends. So like we, we tend to like be the personality average of the five closest people to us in our lives. And so, you know, <laughs> this can be something that I, I often hear from people as, especially as they like really start to take their personal development journey seriously. And they like, you know, start doing the work and really showing up and, and showing up for themselves in their lives, that sometimes they'll drift away from people that are close to them in their lives. People who are not ready right now for whatever reason to do the work at that sort of level, and the, it'll create like rifts and tensions, things like that. And um, it can be really hard because, you know, we have these like sentimental attachments to people, I think, that have been around in our lives for a really long time. And so it can be a challenge as we start to like create space for our our new version, or like our next highest level to leave behind some. And it's not like we have to have these hard breaks or whatever with people. That's not exactly the idea. But the idea is that, you know, if you are going to be the average of your five closest people like who do you want to be averaging out to be like who are the people that you want to be you know looking around you and seeing and and getting inspired by and um you know feeling aligned with and that sort of thing so you know cultivating a social environment for yourself that is conducive to you becoming the kind of person that makes it easier to become the kind of person that you most want to be. Because I think think that's one of the coolest things about environment is that it can like make it a lot easier for you. You know what I mean? If you're hanging out with people who have a really solid money mindset, then you're just going to be like when money comes up in conversation, it's going to be like reinforcing resourceful beliefs for you about money. And if you're around people who really don't, then anytime money comes up, you're like reinforcing these like, the struggles and the stories and all that stuff about money. And so it just can be kind of counterproductive if you want to have a very resourceful relationship with money, for example.
1: Mm-hmm. I think about social environment in two ways. One, thinking about the people that I invite to be around me. And th- those are the people that are the most high vibe people that I love, that are the most easy to be around, that inspire me, that I feel really good about myself and inspired to take action in the world but I also think that in the context of those relationships there's there's intentionality and in how I show up and what I'm helping solicit in them by the choices of like what kind of mood energy I show up to in conversation or maybe like how much complaining I do or like sad being sad panda and so I think about it in both in both of those ways.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it can invite you, you know, like I love Pixie's a great example. You know, our dog is a social environment for me in, in a lot of ways. You know, one is like she really is encouraging me to go for walks and be outside and exercise like that's just like a beautiful feature of Pixie. But, you know, she and I play that pixie stretch, daddy stretch game. So like anytime, ever since she's like a little puppy, anytime she stretches, I'll stretch too. I'll just like do a quick stretch just like pixie does. And it's like pixie stretch, daddy stretch. So that's like a great example of a social environment working in my favor because like I made this this rule that when I see pixie stretching, I'm going to stretch the same way. And so then she becomes this reminder to me to become more of the kind of person that I wanna be, who is the kind of person who regularly stretches throughout the day, right? So that's like, I think that's like a really beautiful, clear, clean uh, example of the way that a social environment can work. Cause even though she's not people, I mean, she's people. Yeah, she's still reminding me, she's drawing forth from me, the highest and best version of myself, which is one that stretches more often.
1: Yeah, I have my own little practice with Pixie where when I see her and I just like see her face and she's so sweet and so unconditionally lovable. And I just like, my heart is like singing because I'm like, gosh, darn it. I love this little beast so much. And when I get that feeling, I hug her. And then I say, I love you as much as I love myself. And Yeah, because like, wouldn't it be so cool if like that thing that is so naturally expressed from my insides, like from my deepest of my most heart, that if I had that towards me too, like how beautiful is that? What we're talking about right now with Pixie is just creating these little breadcrumb trails in our environment and then making associations in our mind for us to be in an environment that we're already in, but then use it to remind ourselves to bring forth something intentionally from within ourselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love I that.
1: Just, I say I love it as a, a principle. Like, where, where, where? What are the creative ways that you can leave the breadcrumbs behind so that you're walking around doing life, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, stretch, or like, oh yeah, like really love myself super hard.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, become the kind of person that I want to be in the world. Like show up that way, you know? Because th- that's like kind of the secret to being the person that you want to be is to just like start being that person, you know what I mean? And do it again and again and again until ultimately it's a habit and you just are that person and you can't remember a time when you didn't show up that way in the world. And I think that's like one of the really cool things, you know, like um, a simple example is like, when we're trying to lose weight or, you know, we want to be like more intentional about our diet. Well, if we're intentional about the kinds of food that we're bringing into the house in the first place and like the only kinds of foods that are available in the environment are the kinds of foods that the the version of ourselves that we want to be is eat, that we want to be eats, right? Then it's a lot easier to make those decisions when the time comes and you're tired from the end of your day and, you know, you're not like really in a resourceful place to make Decisions because you've used your willpower on other decisions throughout the day. So then if we only have decisions, uh, choices that make, that help us to become the version of ourselves that we want to be, then it's much easier to make those decisions. So I love that. I love food as an example. I love, we, you know, that that little hack that uh, I learned from Yelena with the flossers, in the like the little pint jar or whatever on the bathroom counter and just like have it being full of flossers. And that is just like such a beautiful reminder of flossing. It makes it really easy because they're easy to just pull out of there. It's like bright green. So it's like attractive to the eye. So it's obvious, um, which are, these are principles from uh, Atomic Habits by the way, Um, make, make your habits obvious and make them easy to interact with. So like these are kinds of things that we can do. Um, He also talks
1: in that book about functional obstructions. So putting something in your way that you would have to pick up and move out of your way in order to do something you would normally do. What was it? There was some sort of like cream you needed to use and you kept forgetting to use it every night. And so I start you started putting it in the sink so that before you brush your teeth, you couldn't turn on the water. You had to take this cream out of the sink. And then you never forgot to, you you quit forgetting to use it because it was a functional obstruction to something that was already built into your routine.
0: Exactly, because I always use that sink. And so I couldn't turn the sink on because there was a thing in the sink that was like in my way. It's like, oh, that's my reminder to do a thing and then put the thing back in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, functional obstruction is a really powerful tool for remembering to get a a habit started. So you can put something in the way of a door that you use all the time. You can wrap a rubber band around the the doorknob. You can, you know, like anything that like jumps out at you and you like you you literally can't ignore it so you Mm -hmm. know you might put a big sticky note across your computer screen Mm -hmm. um, you know so that you actually can't use the computer screen unless you do something or unless you take the sticky note off and that can be a Mm -hmm. reminder or
1: um, I think that that's a great I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think people use that a lot as like sticky notes but they'll put them in a place that is and then it just blends into the environment after a while and they don't even notice that they have some sort of affirming statement or some reminder, something that they were going to do, but they put it on the, I'm looking at my screen right now with all of the sticky notes at the bottom that I never look at because mm-hmm. they're just, in they're just part of my environment. My eyes scan right past them now.
0: Exactly. You know, it's, it's like, that's some that's some, definitely something to be on the lookout for, for this kind of change. If we're going to make some, that's why I like functional obstructions rather than just like putting a sticky note, notes mm-hmm. are great. As long as you're remembering to look at them, remembering to engage mm-hmm. with them. But what happens is we habituate them and then they just like blend into the background because we're busy doing other things. They're like, our, our brains are hardwired to notice what's new and, mm-hmm. you know, notice what's getting in our way or what we want, what we desire. And so like things that are like on the periphery, they won't work that way because you'll just like start mm-hmm. to ignore them. You know? Like I got a tattoo to remind me that it's time to rest and breathe, <sighs> and it's great to have that and to remember that. But honestly, because it's on my wrist, I don't notice it a lot of the time. You know, it it, it it comes up occasionally, like in this kind of situation. But but look, it wasn't the tattoo that reminded me of that. It was, it was us a having conversation. this conversation. Yeah. It's when
1: any time anybody asks about what your tattoo means, is you and I both take a deep breath,
0: right? Which <laughs> I... when people
1: ask about it, but they don't always.
0: Right. Which is a great kind of environment. Like attaching is a great kind of environment. But again, it, it's only going to work if we can remember it or keep it fresh. So like if you are the kind of person who loves to use the post-it notes, what one is maybe consider using the post-it notes in a way that creates functional obstruction. So again, if you put it on your computer screen where you can't see or across your camera so that you can't be seen by other people or you, you know, you you put it across the door so that you can't open the door without it making a sound or you noticing it, that might be a way to use them or just moving them around a lot and and like kind of getting yourself in the practice of being on the lookout for it. like spot the the post it note or whatever and remember to engage with it um because just putting something in your environment won't really like trigger the mm-hmm. the thinking unless you do something with it and you actually like build that into a habit or a process for yourself
1: Mm -hmm. totally
0: which habits and processes are also ways uh, that you can use an environment to Mm -hmm. to help yourself right what's the sequence of things that i do and then can i add a thing to either end or in the middle or something like that
1: Mm -hmm. yeah is that a good segue into talking about future pacing
0: yeah i mean future pacing is a way of creating a mental environment so I love this. We'll probably do a different podcast about it on, um, on just this topic, but future pacing is like, so there are a lot of things that we can, we can practice intentionally and deliberately. We can go, you know, I can go practice, you know, throwing knives or I can go practice like the guitar or I can go practice cooking because I can manufacture an environment where it's time to practice for those things. But there's a lot of kinds of things that we can't really manufacture the environment for practicing them actually, like social things. If you want to work on your social skills, you're either in a place where you're practicing your social skills, and then there's pressure, there's performance pressure, mm-hmm. right? Or you're, you know, you're thinking about what it might be like. And so, what future pacing does is it lets you create an environment in your brain where you can get your reps in, because that's the only way that our brains really learn is through reps. Like we've got to connect the neurons, and that happens through practice. So, future pacing is finding a quiet place, imagining a situation, usually from your past, where um, you can identify some cue that you would remember to practice then remember, identify what the routine is that you want to run instead of the thing that you would ordinarily do. And then um, imagine yourself actually running it and rewarding yourself for doing that. So it's a way to like take the whole habit building process and make it in your brain. And then we can, uh, you know, we can run that, several times so that like this is i'll use this if i want if i want like if we have uh you know you asked me to oh i, I don't like it when you put the popcorn in the pot oh, on yeah. the counter because it makes the ring or whatever so what i did in order to do that and you like you saw that that never has ever happened again ever since you asked me for never that.
1: happened once since yeah. i made that request one time
0: right well that's because i took when you did that i was like okay i ran and i rehearsed it in my mind i was like all right so i know it's at the end of the popcorn the popcorn's all full and i'm like oh the popcorn's full and i'm taking the lid off that's my cue so instead of putting the lid on the counter, I'm going to flip it upside down. And then it's not going to be on the counter anymore, which added another step to the process too, which was like putting on those, uh, the hot mitts, the, because I didn't want to burn myself when I was setting the thing upside down. So it, had, it added two new parts to the routine the process. But then I just rehearsed that in my brain, like about probably eight times, honestly. Uh, it's not that big of a, a you know, skill or habit to build <laughs> it didn't require a lot of like effort on my part so i just rehearsed it eight times in my brain you know state broke and and then uh and then it never happened again
1: mm-hmm.
0: so that's really useful yeah. for anytime you want to like remember to do a skill or, or practice something mm-hmm. new
1: yeah i think it's worth mentioning here all of the studies about people practicing actual skills in their mind Versus, there was like that study where that people were practicing piano, and they had people practice on an actual piano, and then they had people practice just in their mind, tapping their fingers, not on an actual instrument, and the results were crazy. That people just practicing with their fingers, not actually at the piano, getting like ninety
0: percent of the benefit. Yeah, yeah, and I've heard that with basketball, uh, that there was like a. When I was in my ballet days, one of my teachers actually had a real life example of a ballerina who had broken her, like she maybe like tore a meniscus or something. I don't know, some major injury. and She was like really out for a long time, which can be like a career ender for a ballerina because, you know, if you're not practicing for eight, 10 months while you recover, then you're in real trouble if you can ever get back to the level of professional ballet. And she she said that this woman would come to class every day and she would work the class in her mind. She would be there like in her mind doing everything that all the, the all the other dancers were doing. And that by the time she finally like got the OK from the doctors to go back, she hadn't atrophied. She was able to like she was in the next the very next show, you know. So that's like a really cool kind of story about how you can do this future pacing thing in your brain and then like develop actual real world skills.
1: Mm-hmm. I love thinking about the power of a mental landscape as it relates to our personal development and also physical development too. Like that's, it's just so cool and exciting that we have access to that. I hope that people hear this and feel inspired to start leveraging that as a resource.
0: Totally. Love it. I love it. So, um, yeah, I mean, we talked about a lot of them, you know, like some other ones are like, I wear the uniform. I really like the uniform because like when I put the uniform on, it's like, it's work time. And so like, that's a kind of environment that Mm -hmm. I use. Um, If I want to, you know, really want to finish a book, I'll put the book on my pillow. And that's an environment for me to remember. Oh yeah, I want to read before bed. Mm -hmm. You know, finding the environment where you feel comfortable doing something. You know, like I really like to take my coaching calls, my podcasts here in the office, but I really like to do like email work and like writing work while I'm sitting in that papasan chair or on our kitchen table, which is a different kind of environment. Mm -hmm. It's like, it doesn't work as well for me here. So like a part of this is like, asking yourself what kinds of environments are conducive to me being the version of me that I want to be
1: Mm. at the times.
0: So it's worth doing some exploration.
1: Yeah. How do you think people know that it's time to create an environmental change? Like what's the cue that people can key into to start thinking about this?
0: Well, so I I don't, I, I think that the answer to that question is the environment can always make your change easier. So a lot of times like something that like, if you're feeling like you're putting a lot of willpower into some kind of change or something like that, you might ask yourself, all right, well, how can I use my environment to, to help with this? And again, there are so many different environments. There are like technology environments. There's pet environments. There's social environments. There, like a coach is a social environment that we didn't even talk about, right? There are time environments, like setting up your calendar in certain ways or like time blocking or like day blocking where like, I only work on this kind of thing on, in these days, you know, coffee shops or, you know, co-working spaces can create a kind of environment for you. So like anytime you're feeling like you want to make a change and you're having a hard time remembering or you're wanting to make a change and you're it's requiring a lot of willpower for you to make that change, ask yourself, how might an environment remove some of the effort required for making this change? Like, how mm-hmm. can I make this easier for myself by changing something in my environment or mm-hmm. changing my environment as a whole?
1: Yeah, I would say for me, the cue is really just honing in on what are the tolerations what are the things that are taking up your mental energy and maybe look around your environment and see if there's an opportunity to zap that toleration and move on from it clear up some mental space
0: love that yeah look for those tolerations and get rid of them Mm -hmm.
1: and and by the way
0: it it like compounds so you don't have to like go and like do all the tolerations at once like (sighs) you know make the list and when you have a little energy like Take, take one toleration and just zap, zap it and you'll immediately feel better. You'll have less on your mind. You'll mm-hmm. feel a little bit of energy around it. It's like, it mm-hmm. feels good to get some stuff off your proverbial to-do list. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or actual to-do list.
1: <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for such a great conversation.
0: Yeah. Great conversation. Thanks, Beijing and for all you listening out there go go for it we i'd love to hear if you find a new new environment way to use environment uh i would love to hear about it because it's something that i find fascinating i think it's like one of the most underutilized things in the personal development world is just like how do we make change easier or inevitable by changing our environment so let us know
1: yeah thanks
0: thanks Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.